Coming up today on A Daily Walk. The stone was not removed so that Jesus could get out. It wasn't on the third day Jesus was like, hey, anybody out there? Who's going to move this rock? I need to get out here and show everybody I'm alive already. No, the reason why the stone was removed is not so Jesus could get out so that the world could look in and see that the grave was empty. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Christian faith is a foolish fantasy. However, if the resurrection of Christ did occur, it confirms his life, message, and atoning work. It is the basis of our hope of life beyond the grave. Christ is alive and the evidence is overwhelming, as we'll see here on this midweek edition of A Daily Walk with John Randall. We're near the end of our verse-by-verse study of Luke. Those of you who were with us yesterday may recall that our study focused on the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Well, the story doesn't stop there. The good news is that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Here's Pastor John with the exciting details. Luke 24, and as you're turning there, I've got some great news for you, and I am so, I mean, seriously, I am excited to share this with you. It's, it's wonderful, and here it is. Jesus is alive. <laughs> That's great news. I told you. That's the best news ever. Luke chapter 24, look with me now at these beginning verses. In verse 1, now the first day of the week, very early in the morning, They and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. This morning, we're gathered here like we are every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The truth of the resurrection is the greatest news the world has ever received. And the resurrection is the foundation of Christianity in which every biblical doctrine must be grounded. For without the resurrection, there's no need for any church service at all. The Bible loses its power and its significance if there is no resurrected Savior. As one man put it, he said, quote, the resurrection is the most important item in the whole fund of human knowledge. It's the grand event of the ages toward which all previous history moved and which all subsequent history finds its meaning. And the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has plowed throughout the centuries and has changed the face of the earth. Today, we could establish the proof of the resurrection and the reality of a physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead by simply considering the evidence. Because in its favor as a living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive, negative, factual, circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world, having examined the evidence, could fail to pronounce a verdict that the resurrection is indisputably true. 
We could begin by looking at the historical evidence found in the word of God. The Bible that you hold in your hands, it is indeed a spiritual book. It is inerrant. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is not simply contain the word of God. It is the word of God. That's what it means. And it's inerrancy. And we believe that. But it is also a historical document unlike any other. There was a man by the name of Sir William Ramsey. He spent 15 years of his life attempting to undermine the credentials of Luke as a historian and to refute the reliability of the New Testament. Finally, he concluded, he said this, quote, Luke is a historian of the first rank. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. There is no other document that exists from the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of textual and historical testimonies anywhere than what you have there in the Bible. We go through the New Testament this morning, precept upon precept. We can start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these men were not forced to believe in a resurrection. They believed in the resurrection because of the evidence that was overwhelming to them. They saw Jesus beaten beyond recognition of a man. They heard the sound of the scourge coming across his back. They watched the nails go into his hands and go into his feet. They watched him die the most horrible death imaginable. They watched a spear go up through his side, piercing his heart. They knew where the grave site was. They knew where he was buried. But Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to the disciples as well as over 500 witnesses, Paul would say, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And these men who wrote the gospels and believed in Jesus and preached the gospel were brutally martyred because they proclaimed the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Following the gospels, you could make your way into the book of Acts which is a record of the early church. And as you read through the book of Acts, you will come to find that the theme of apostolic preaching was the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You move from the book of Acts into the epistles, the letters that were written. And again, the theme of the epistles is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you make your way to the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation affirms that Jesus Christ has the right to the earth because he once was dead and is now alive forevermore. Over 300 passages in the New Testament are concerned with the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is therefore safe to conclude that the theme of the entire New Testament hangs on this truth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One scholar said this, he said, quote, if all the evidence were weighed carefully, it is indeed justifiably according to the canons of historical research to conclude that the sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea in which Jesus was buried was actually emptied on the morning of the first Easter and no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources, epigraphy, archaeology that would disprove this statement. The resurrection of Jesus may be unhesitatingly pronounced the best established fact of history. And we can look back with complete confidence and absolute certainty that Jesus is alive. But on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, as recorded here in the scriptures, the disciples were in a completely different place than we are at this moment. 
During his earthly ministry, Jesus had sought to prepare his followers for his death upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead. But every time that he began to talk about those events, they would change the subject. They would not hear exactly what it was that he was saying. They would put it out of their minds. It was too painful to even think that Jesus would be crucified, put to death. Besides that, they were preparing for a kingdom to come. And you can't have a kingdom coming if you have a dead king. And so they would just not talk about that. They would disregard that. On the day that Jesus was crucified, two men went to Pontius Pilate and they asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted them their request. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, came and placed the body of Jesus in a tomb that was carved out of a rock. It was in a garden and it was near the location where Jesus had been crucified. And as the Sabbath day was quickly approaching, taking Jesus off of the cross, probably around 3 p.m., Sabbath begins at 6 p.m., they had a brief period of time to prepare the body for burial. And so they placed the body into the tomb and then they covered it with a large stone over the entrance. And behind that stone... And within that tomb lay all of the hopes, all of the dreams of Jesus' disciples. And at that moment, everything seemed lost. It seemed like the last three years of their lives were now just a waste because Jesus was no longer with them. The religious leaders that had sentenced Jesus to death, they remembered his words. Jesus, they remembered that Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. And so what they did is they placed guards there to protect it, just in case the disciples came and tried to roll back the stone, take out the body and say, He's alive. They were going to make sure that that would never happen. And so there was a group of women, Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel tell us, that were preparing to go to the grave site with their spices to continue the burial process, to pay their respects, to have closure at the grave site of Jesus. Within that group of women, there was Mary Magdalene, there was Mary the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, and others. But as these women prepared to go to the gravesite, there was one overarching concern that they had, and it was this. Who's going to move the stone? How are we going to get inside? I mean, we know where the gravesite is, but how are we going to move that thing out of the way? They did not know what to do. But the amazing thing is they were pondering this, and they were worried and troubled about it. Something happened. Matthew's gospel, the 28th chapter, records for us that there was an earthquake It says this, and there was a great earthquake, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and he rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it, and his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of them and became like dead men. In other words, the Lord already took care of what they were concerned about. He removed the obstacle. He removed the stone. And let me add this. The stone was not removed so that Jesus could get out. It wasn't on the third day. Jesus was like, hey, anybody out there? Who's going to move this rock? I need to get out here and show everybody I'm alive already. No, the reason why the stone was removed is not so Jesus could get out, so that the world could look in and see that the grave was empty. And as these women prepared to go, John chapter 20 seems to indicate that Mary Magdalene actually went earlier than the rest of the women. She was a devoted follower of Jesus. She had been delivered from several demons. Jesus had delivered this former demon-possessed woman, and from that moment on, she followed Jesus everywhere that he went and served him. And when she was the first one to arrive at the tomb, she saw no angels. She saw that the stone had been rolled away and she saw that the body wasn't there and immediately she went and she told the disciples 
Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them that were gathered there in a room. Now, Luke 24 is where we pick up as a group of women make their way to the gravesite. As we read, these women stood at the tomb. It was open. And I want you to try to, just for a second, put yourself in their place, how you would feel. Imagine this. You've just had a funeral for someone that you love more than life itself. You've buried them. They've gone into the grave. They've filled the grave. The the tombstone is in place. But then the next day, you're going to go back and you want to maybe take some flowers and you want to have some more closure. You want to sit there. Maybe you want to pray or whatever it is. And you go back the next day only to find that it's been dug up. There's dirt everywhere. The body's gone. The casket's gone. And you're thinking, what happened? That's kind of what these women were feeling at that moment. What had happened? Where's Jesus? Who stole his body? Who moved this away? And as they're thinking this, fortunately, the Lord had prepared two angels to be there to minister to these women. And they asked them a question. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Don't you remember what he said to you? Don't you remember what he told you? They did not remember. They were overcome with grief. They were overwhelmed with the situation. And they forgot what Jesus had said. They forgot his word. You ever done that? You ever forgotten what Jesus said? Ever forgotten his promise to you and the Lord needed to remind you of what you failed to remember? And they heard it and suddenly these women were overwhelmed. They were greatly perplexed and that perplexion turned to joy and they began to make their way to report it to the disciples. But look what it says in verse nine. They returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to be like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose, ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So these women, after they see the tombs empty, the angels speak to them, they run to the apostles and they tell them, He's not there. He's he's alive. He's risen. And when these men, so full of faith, sitting there in the room, heard these women speaking, oh, the drama. Oh, my goodness. Here come the women, you know. They saw something. And that's kind of how, that's idle tales. Nobody ever rose from the dead. You guys are just overcome with grief. They did not believe them. But even though they did not believe them, Peter and John tells us he also went. They both ran to the tomb to see that it was so. I love John's account because John says, he writes it down, I outran Peter. I got there first. (laughs) Interesting. For all of antiquity, I was there first. (laughs) Take that, Peter, you know. But when they got there, they both were there, and it says that John simply looked at the tomb, but Peter, when he finally arrived, probably huffing and puffing, pushed his way into the tomb, walked in there, looked at the clothes that were set there just in order, realizing that no one robbed the body and no one robbed the grave. What had happened here? And he was puzzled, but it says that John, in his account, that he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. After this, Mary returns to the tomb. Mary Magdalene returns to the tomb as John's gospel records And the next time she goes back to the tomb, the second time, two angels were at the graveside and she was overcome with grief and all that Mary could do was weep. She was just crying, just weeping convulsively, couldn't stop. And the angels spoke to her and they said, why are you crying? And Mary responded and she said, because they have taken my Lord away and I do not know where they have put him. 
And in that moment, the lowest point in Mary's life, the deepest sorrow that she could ever go to, Jesus shows up. And Mary was going to have the opportunity, the first person to see the risen Savior. And Jesus shows up. Her eyes are probably swollen from weeping so much. And and Jesus speaks to her. And he said, woman, why are you crying? And then she responded, thinking that he was the gardener, the Bible says. And she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. I mean, what a devoted woman. Where'd you put the body? Tell me where it is, and I will carry it. I'll take it. And then Jesus, in probably one of the sweetest passages concerning the resurrection, Jesus says her name. He just said, Mary. And there's a lot of women that followed Jesus with the name Mary. It must have been the way that he said it, because when he said it, her eyes were open, and she recognized that it was her teacher, that it was her Lord. And then it says that she grabbed hold of him, I mean, tightly, as if to say, you got away from me once, you will never get away from me again. And you remember Jesus then commissioned this woman. She was the first person to see the risen Lord and the first person entrusted with the gospel message concerning the resurrection. Go tell my disciples that I've risen from the dead. And at that point, Mary went back and met with Jesus. This was the first, or at least this was the first of five appearances that Jesus made on the day of his resurrection. It wasn't the only one, but it was one of them. We know from Luke chapter 24, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus also made another appearance privately to Peter, to Peter. That's an interesting thing, because the last time we saw Peter in Luke's gospel, he was saying, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he did. And right after he denied Jesus, you remember Luke, unlike any other gospel, records that he and Jesus looked at each other right after the rooster crowed. And it says, when Peter looked at Jesus, he went out and he wept bitterly. In fact, one of the gospel writers tells us when Jesus had risen from the dead, he told them, go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. If there was one man who had failed so miserably that needed to know Jesus was alive, it was Peter. And somewhere privately, the details are not recorded exactly what happened. I'm sure that it was personal. Jesus restored him privately. And then at the end of John's gospel, he would restore him publicly. But he ministered to Peter in that moment. Maybe you failed the Lord. Maybe you have blown it so bad and you think nothing is going to come of my life anymore. I've just, I've, I'm washed up. I can't be used anymore. That's how Peter felt. Listen, friend, you need to know Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. He can forgive you. He can restore you. He can still use your life. You need to know Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive. And so Peter was restored privately by the Lord. But while all of this is going on, Luke records something that the other gospel writers do not record. Two disciples on their way to a village called Emmaus. Look what it says in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love that verse. But their eyes were restrained and they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things today is the third day since these things happened. And certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early. They astonished us, came saying that they had seen a vision of angels and, and that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now imagine this, picture this. Here's two men, they're leaving Jerusalem. Why? Because the kingdom's not coming. Jesus has died. It's over. Why should we stay in Jerusalem if he's gone? So they're leaving. They're traveling seven miles out of the way to Emmaus, down this road, and and they are broken. They are perhaps weeping. They're definitely sad. It was visible in their countenance that they were grieved because of what had happened, what they had observed. And while they're talking about this, Jesus joins them on the road. Imagine that. He starts asking them questions. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Why why are you so bummed out? What's wrong? What's happening? They're like, are you new? Or do you not know what's happened? Are you the only, are you, have you never been to Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? Jesus says, what, what's going on? Tell them what's going on. You haven't heard about Jesus? Oh, tell me about Jesus. Here's Jesus asking them to tell them about himself. What happened? So they start explaining, well, he was crucified. And this, oh, really, he was crucified. Well, that's interesting, you know. And, uh, and then he, they're explaining to Jesus what happened to him. All the way down. And they said, man, we were hoping that he was going to be the Messiah. And now he's gone. And. It's over, and we're just leaving, and Jesus is just listening and listening and listening as they verbalize their hearts, and then Jesus speaks to them, and in verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look at verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The first thing Jesus says to these troubled disciples as they didn't believe the reports of the women and they didn't believe that he had risen from the dead, he said, you're foolish, of, of slow of heart. You're not believing everything that the scriptures has said. The scriptures did reveal, the scriptures that they had revealed that the Messiah did have to suffer, but they didn't believe it. They kind of didn't look at those passages and looked at the ones about him ruling and reigning. They couldn't understand the fact that he had to be a suffering servant before he could come as a conquering king. And so Jesus reproves them for their slowness of heart, and then he began to teach them. It says in all of, from Moses, the books of Moses, which were the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, into the minor prophets, major prophets, into the, the Psalms, and you name it, he began to expound to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 39 books? Let me just go through this for you guys. Let me just explain to you where it says the Messiah had to suffer. Could you, I mean, really, the Bible study that that would have been. I mean, we would be astonished. And Jesus began to explain to them all the things concerning himself. We're traveling through Luke's gospel one verse at a time here on A Daily Walk, just part of our Through the Bible journey with Pastor John Randall. And I'd imagine some of you would like to hear this message from Luke again. Maybe you joined us late. Go online to adailywalk.org and have a listen when it's most convenient. Or request a CD copy for a cost of just $5. You can reach us toll-free at 
877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another way to listen to Pastor John's teachings is through our mobile app. It's free and even available on Apple TV. Do a search for Calvary South OC. And we have a podcast, too, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're super excited about this month's offer. It's a book from our friend in the ministry, Barry Stagner, titled The Time of the Signs. In it, Barry explores the events that will precede Christ's return. And he answers common questions like, why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? We're making it available to our A Daily Walk listeners for the cost of $12. Again, you can order online at adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And by the way, anything given above that amount will be put to good use and help people all over the world grow in their daily walk as they listen to these daily studies. In some cases, actually enter into a relationship with Christ. Again, you can donate online safely and securely at adailywalk.org. You know, we often say it around here at A Daily Walk because it's true. We want to hear from you. It lets us know where the ministry is having an impact. And also, we love praying for our listeners. Write to Pastor John by email today at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk.com at gmail.com. Well, our time together sure goes by quickly, doesn't it? We'll pick up where we left off in our Through the Bible study next time. This has been A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, where you'll never have to walk alone. This program is made possible through your generosity and brought to you by Calvary South O.C.,